everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Gotera. Thanks for stopping by episode 52. My guest today is Jackson Gatlin, the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast. So this episode primarily dedicated to the Rockets, where they are as a franchise, what they're looking like. Jackson sees every single game, and God bless him for it. Uh, because some of these games are rough. I've seen on Twitter that every time the Rockets are down by 20 points, people start to drink. Take a shot. That's happened a lot lately. Uh, But Jackson is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this team. Like I said, he watches him all the time. He breaks film down with our old friend Ali Khan Bajani, who has joined us on uh, Sports Extra of The Athletic. He's got a lot of good things going on with Locked On Rockets. In fact, the uh, Locked On Rockets podcast is part of the Locked On Network of podcasts uh, that KHOU, my station, and uh, our company, Tegna, has partnered with to uh, form a relationship as to kind of share some content. So it was great having uh, Jackson on. He's got a great podcast. Go check him out. He's a wealth of knowledge, as I mentioned. And this is episode 52. Before we go any further, I'd like to uh, tell you to subscribe and like the podcast if you haven't done so already. Um, I've said many times that, you know, March has been a crazy month for me. I'm moving into a new house. This house is actually starting to come together a little bit. Uh, still have some boxes, some places. So here's the thing. My, my big project at the house, and it's always been at the house, is uh, my game room. Over the years, I've collected a lot of sports memorabilia. Um... Baseball fan, first and foremost. I have a lot of baseball memorabilia. Uh, I'm a huge White Sox fan. Sorry for uh, some Houston sports fans that are listening to this for the first time. Big White Sox fan, grew up in Chicago. Not grow up in Chicago. I was born in Chicago. was a huge fan of Frank Thomas back in the day when he broke into the big leagues, and that's how I became a White Sox fan. So I got a lot of sports memorabilia, a lot of Northwestern stuff. I got a lot of White Sox stuff. I've got some Captain America stuff. By the way, before we go any further, uh, Captain America, we have a new one. How great was that uh, show, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I mean, so good. I need to have Christian Covington back on. He is my resident Marvel uh, expert, the guy who breaks things down with me, former Texan. I had him on before to talk about Marvel, and uh, now we're two shows into the Disney Plus Marvel era, Phase 4, as they call it, or a Phase, I don't even know what it's called now at this point. But we've got WandaVision in the books. We've got Falcon and the Winter Soldier in the books. Both of those were excellent. The only critique I have of Falcon and the Winter Soldier was the Flag Smashers. They were kind of a mess. Uh, If you haven't seen the show, go check it out. But we do have a new Captain America. Sam Wilson now has the shield. So I do have a lot of Captain America gear, memorabilia uh, as part of my collection. So my big task at the house is putting together a new game room. See, I've always had a section of where I've lived, whether it be apartments or... a house, our last house. I've always had an area to keep my stuff because, uh, and you'll find this kind of funny, my wife and I uh, came to this agreement a long time ago. When we started dating, uh, things were looking good. And uh, I told her, I said, look, I've got a lot of crap, a lot of sports crap. Now, she's not the biggest sports fan in the world, but God bless her because she understands what I have. And I told her I have a lot of crap. Most of it is crap. 
No, not most of it is crap. A lot of it is really, really cool. But I've been going through some of the stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, why do I have some of these things? Like old programs and of random games in May and June of 2004. <laughs> like, why did I keep this stuff? Um, so I have a lot of stuff. And I told her a long time ago, I said, look, wherever we move, whether it be apartments, house, anywhere, I need to have one room dedicated to this stuff. She's like, oh, man, you get a whole room? I was like, look, that's kind of the deal. Um, we need to figure this out. If it's a deal breaker, no, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a deal breaker because have you seen my wife? Exactly. Uh, she's an amazing woman. Uh, so it wouldn't have been a deal breaker on my end. But I did tell her I need to have a house. I need to have a, a room in the house. So we drew up this little piece of paper. I have it somewhere. And I, I wrote down, Daniel gets one room wherever we live together as a couple or something like that. And she signed it. I said, this is a legal binding document. If this is not lived up to, we're going to have some issues. <laughs> so I do have my room. That's where most of the boxes in our new house are concentrated right now. I've been going through some of that stuff. And I'm trying to figure out where to put it. Like I've got neon lights, bar signs. Um, I'm thinking about building a bar in the room, actually. I think that would be kind of a cool addition to it. And then building around that, a couple of bookcases. I have a couch, put a TV in there. So that's my big project at the house. Um, and I stress out about it. I shouldn't stress out about it because it's just stuff at the end of the day. But uh, trying to get it right the first time so you don't have to change it later on is huge. It's very, very important. Uh, so uh, that's what I've got going on here. But I am trying to do some more podcast episodes. And we start off with this one, episode 52. Let's kind of get back on track, shall we? Uh, Jackson Gatlin of Locked On Rockets. We talk about the Rockets and where they've been, where they're going, uh, what has happened to this organization over the last 10 months. And look, it's, it's, not, it's not been easy. It's not been an easy watch, right? I mean, we had James Harden do what he did. You know, Jackson brings up the fact that Tillman Fertitta and some of the issues that Rockets fans have with him, Daryl Morey making trades that he probably shouldn't have made. So, you know, while James Harden gets a lot of the blame, especially in my book, after he quit on the team uh, earlier this season, you don't quit on your team like that, like he did, especially a guy who wants to be a leader. He gets a lot of uh, heat from me and a lot of other Rockets fans for that matter. But there are, uh, there are other issues that went to the, uh, into the demise of this franchise in the short term, right? They're building their way back up. They're, they are hitting rock bottom. Hopefully they get a top pick. Jackson and I talk about all of this. Again, the host of Locked On Rockets, Jackson Gatlin. He's a great guy. We first talk about his start with the podcast and how he got into this. Uh, so take a listen. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a lot of fun to talk to. Jackson Gatlin, Lockdown Rockets, nice to see you. Uh, first of all, I have to say, you've been popping up on people's timelines a lot more this year. A little bit more engaged with the uh, with the Rockets team. Tell me about yourself a little bit so people can have an idea what your background is and how you kind of got into this whole Lockdown Rockets thing. Of course, Daniel. Well, first off, thank you for having me here. Very excited to be here, you know, talking Houston sports, talking Rockets specifically with you, but uh, a little bit about me and, and my background. So I am a an alumnus of the University of Houston. I majored in broadcast journalism there. I started, my background was actually kind of in print and digital media, actually. And after doing that for about a year, you know, covering uh, the UH Cougars, they made it to the Sweet 16 uh, a few a few seasons back. I, I started kind of dabbling and I got in into, I got into radio actually. So I, I interned for ESPN 97.5, uh, spent some time there. Then I, I turned that internship into a producer opportunity at the, at, uh, 
Sports Talk 790, uh, the official flagship for the Astros and Rockets, uh, spent about a year there. And as I was doing my time there and, you know, learning the, the ins and the outs of, of live radio and producing and all those, uh, you know, all those different elements, I became friends with, at the time, the host of Locked on Rockets, Ben DuBose, and reached out to him, asked if I could sit down and just kind of get to know what his career experience was like, how he got involved, how he, you know, made a name for himself in Houston sports media. And we got to be, you know, pretty close after that. And uh, somewhere down the line, when Ben decided to, you know, formally step away from Locked on Rockets, uh, I had actually reached out to him about potentially doing a a Locked on Cougars podcast because there wasn't a Locked on UH Cougars show yet uh, on the Locked on Network. And so he came back to me, he said, you know, slightly bigger proposal. How would you feel about taking over Locked on Rockets? And I was, you know, flabbergasted. I, I had, you know, no idea that that was coming. And, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, after being put on the short list of potential candidates, uh, I became the new host uh, a little under two years ago. So that's that's kind of how I've been making my name in the Houston sports media scene. Um, doing five podcasts a week is a lot. Um, a daily show is a lot of work, um, but it's very, very fun. And it's uh, led me to meet some amazing people along the way, yourself included, Daniel. Oh, wow. That's, that's fine. I'll send you the check in the mail a little later. Uh, for that. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's, I think it's cool. So this whole locked on network, right? You know, KHOU Tegna, our company is kind of joined forces now with the locked on network. There's, there are several podcasts. Maybe people don't really know that there are, you know, there's one for the Rockets, one for the Texans, the Astros. I mean, this is kind of a network that kind of reaches out to several of the major cities where the uh, sports markets are. Absolutely. There's, you know, for pretty much every single major market, you know, anywhere across the, the, the United States, if you've got a football team, basketball team, um, MLB team. Uh, so again, NBA, NFL, MLB, uh, NHL as well. Also, you know, some of the bigger co collegiate institutions, we've got, uh, you know, podcasts covering those teams. Um, and it's really amazing how how much the network has grown. You talk about, you know, the new partnership between Locked On and Tegna, which is, you know, such an exciting opportunity for moments like this to be able to, you know, that, that you and I are now getting to, to work together a little bit more and interact more. But uh, really the network since I joined about two years ago has grown exponentially. Like the, just the ways that things are being done, the support systems, the, the resources that are being allocated to really make these the best possible shows uh, in existence. Because I think what you lose out in sports media a lot of the time is you lose out on that local angle. And so that's what Locked On does is we are the local experts covering these teams. And so, you know, you might be able to turn on ESPN or, you know, inside the NBA or something, and you're going to get, you know, some really over the top exaggerated takes from the national media guys. But if you throw on a podcast that covers your team five days a week and covers all the nitty gritty, all the ins and the outs, then you're going to get some really niche analysis that you wouldn't otherwise get if you're just paying attention to the national scope of things. Has this been more challenging than you thought it would be? Oh man, there have definitely been some uh, some moments, Daniel. I'm not gonna lie. Um, doing a doing a podcast five days a week is a lot. Um, but I would say that the payoff and the the uh, excitement of, like you said, right? I'm showing up on people's timelines more often. You know, being able to make a name for myself covering the team that I grew up loving, rooting for, and I think that's what makes Locked On so unique. Is not only do I have a background 
in broadcast journalism. So I understand the professionalism side. I understand the reporting element. I understand separating your biases, all that stuff. But at the same time, I'm still allowed to be a fan of the team that I cover. And that gives me such a unique scope to be able to sometimes, you know, I'm going to, I'm still going to wear my Rockets red. I'm still going to root for the team, but I'm also feeling the ups and the downs with the fans, right? I'm riding the highs and I'm riding the lows with the fan base. And I use, I try my best to utilize my background in, you know, journalism to separate my biases at times and say, look, I know we're feeling this way because X, Y, Z happened, but let's take a look at it from this perspective. Let's try and, you know, remove ourselves from the situation for a moment and really think in a broader lens about what's going on with the team. And I think that gives me and many of the other hosts on the network who, again, there's some hosts that are beat writers. There are some hosts that are just rabid fans. There's a mix, you know, a nice mix between the two sometimes and I think that just gives a really unique perspective when talking about these these teams well let's just dive right into this group shall we um I, I don't I don't really know where to begin after this season yeah let's, right let's start, let's start at the beginning I mean so Steven Silas gets hired I guess you can even start before that right Mike D'Antoni leaves Daryl Morey mm-hmm. leaves how do you sum up the last 10 plus months for the Houston Rockets organization I mean, if I had to pick one word, uh, I mean, roller coaster, maybe like it's just been, uh, you know, I've used the word tumultuous a lot. Like there's just, you know, there's so much that has gone on in the last 10 months for this organization. Um, I mean, uh, most recently, right, Tad Brown dropping the news that he's going to be stepping, stepping away as the CEO for the Rockets at the end of this season. And so he's the last kind of pillar of the Leslie Alexander era of the team. Uh, which will truly mark the beginning, I, I suppose, of the Tillman Fertitta era of the Rockets, uh, depending on you know who that replacement, who uh, Tad Brown's successor will be. But you go all the way back, and you know I, I think that a lot of times people want to pin the blame on one person, right? They look at the you know this this fall from grace that the Rockets had, where they were you know year in year out, you know top tier playoff team, championship aspirations for a number of seasons under Mike D'Antoni with James Harden leading the way first you know, Chris Paul being his Robin, then Russell Westbrook. And I think that at the end of the day, there's a lot of blame to go around for different people. Um, You know, you hear the reports about James Harden issuing ultimatums to the Rockets franchise. You hear the reports about Tillman Fertitta, who jumps in at the last moment and kind of ham fists the Russell Westbrook trade in. You hear about Daryl Morey, who, let's face it, is Russell Westbrook the type of player Daryl Morey would have ever traded for? Probably not. So maybe he should have, you know, stood his ground a little bit more firmly and not caved to the demands of his superstar or to the owner of the franchise and really said, no, I firmly believe this is the wrong course of action for this team. So... I don't, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me when any one person tries to say, oh, it's just this person's fault or it's just this person's fault. There's plenty of blame to go around for how the Rockets fell from what they were to where they are now. But I will say that I'm very excited about this, this young core, this young nucleus, this team has together. I'm excited about Steven Silas and we've seen moments where he's done some things coaching wise, made some decisions and done some things where 
you know, there's promise there. You know, the people who are, you know, completely out on Steven Silas, the guy hasn't even gotten a fair shake at the job yet. Are there people that are out on Steven Silas? I mean, come on, please. That, they're absolutely, even, Daniel, they're absolutely That is absolutely not even possible, are. please. <laughs> there they're absolutely are. And those are the people I, I, I firmly, I disagree with them because he hasn't gotten a fair shake at the job. He's shown what he can do as the, as essentially the offensive coordinator, the architect for the Dallas Mavericks offense the past two seasons before becoming the Rockets head coach. He showed what he was capable of when given a group of guys, uh, to quote John Wall, a group of guys who want to be there. But, um, you know, it basically, you know, given a, a consistent roster, and we saw that for a brief stretch during the season before Christian Wood went down, this team was really starting to gel. They won seven out of eight games. You can argue that it's a small sample size, but Christian Wood was looking really explosive on both ends of the court. He was anchoring the defense. He was getting exponentially better on that side of the basketball because when he started the season, he looked lost. He looked confused, didn't understand the defense rotations at times. He was really picking that up and they were establishing a truly defensive identity and then he gets injured and it all just kind of that just uh, you know the wheels came off the train at that point so I'm excited about what this team's able to potentially able to do moving forward and I think Steven Silas is the right guy for the job and I think that Rafael Stone did a like a master class job in general managing when he was tasked with potentially building a team that could compete in the here and now as well as angling things for the worst case scenario if James Harden were to depart from the organization were to be traded and he did a great job of finding the right pieces to plug in and be ready in the you know event that that took you know took place which ultimately it did yeah I understand your points about the you know there's blame that does need to go around uh we'll get into Tillman for Tita in a second because I feel like not only basketball wise has it been tough for him on on that front, but I mean, on the business side of things, COVID has really, really hurt him and, uh, and his, and his business. Right. So we'll get to Tillman in a second, but man, I, I, I just, James Harden does not sit well with me, man. I, I, I know you probably heard my commentary on sports extra. I just, I don't, I don't like the way that went down. I don't like the way he went about things. And I feel like superstars like that need to be held a little bit more accountable for the fact that, man, he just threw his whole team under the bus. That press conference where DeMarcus Cousins even called him out, that was the last straw, right? That was that was it. He was done here. But even everything leading up to it, just the lack of interest. And, I mean, you're a leader, right? And that was the biggest knock for me on him is that he never was the leader that this team needed to get over the top. And I just feel like the way he did this team and this organization that did a lot for him, that rolled out the red carpet basically for him, really, really sits very poorly with me. Uh, Daniel, I completely agree with you. You know, the, the ending was not what anybody wanted it to be. You know, I remarked multiple times that, you know, this wasn't how it was supposed to end. You know, he was supposed to retire a Houston rocket, you know, ring or no ring, right? He, he, and it, it, it leaves a bitter taste in everybody's mouth because regardless of how he left, he's still the second greatest player in franchise history. And, you know, it hurts that, you know, there's, there's this feel, this feeling of betrayal, right? This city that woke up every single day for eight years, defending him on social media, cheering yeah. for him, chanting his name, you know, canvassing for MVP votes, all of this. And he just, it feels like he, you know, you, you lose out on him. He turns his back on you. And I think it's, it's definitely really tough to stomach. I think that we did have some extra time to kind of process it with the trade request being all the way before the season even started. So once that news kind of came out, then it was like, 
you get, it gave you a little bit of time to really process and kind of deal with the emotions of potentially losing your franchise player. So it wasn't just randomly out of the dark. Oh, he's gone. It was, we had like a two month lead up to what happened. Um, But the behavior, you know, the, the partying in Vegas, all of that, you know, not showing up for training camp, it was very petulant behavior. And I completely agree with you there, but my main takeaway from Harden is I've echoed this before, you know, he truly thought, you know, after how things ended that second stint with Chris Paul losing in six to the Warriors, they needed a change. They needed something. And when Russell Westbrook became available, he truly believed that that was going to be the push that they needed to, you know, that was his hail Mary play essentially to try and have one more shot. And so he issues, you know, reportedly issues the ultimatum that summer. He's like, trade me or trade Chris Paul. So they trade Paul for Westbrook in the infamous, you know, two, two first round picks, two pick swaps deal. So painful. Right. And so not a good move, (laughs) not, not great whatsoever, but that was in, in Harden's eyes, right. Those picks didn't matter to him because in his eyes, he was, he was that, you know, he thought Russ was going to be the guy that he needed to get this team over the top. Um, You know, you can make the argument, right the best availability is availability. And up until recently, right, Russ has been, you know, relatively healthy as, you know, not quite the Iron Man that James Harden is, but maybe he was thinking, look, I just need a guy who can be there, right? Not have a hamstring tweak, not miss a quarter of the season. And then, you know, as fate would have it, Russell Westbrook winds up sitting out all the back-to-backs, doesn't play, you know, winds up missing a chunk of the first round, isn't right because of COVID, because of the quad injury in the remainder of the, the bubble playoffs, all of that. So just, you know, a lot happened there. And the, the, the hardest part for me to gra- grapple with is, you know, James Harden, you know, really pushed for that trade and, you know, didn't care about the assets and everything. And now, you know, then he abandons the franchise. He says, you know what? I, I'm cleaning my hands of this mess. I've done all that I can do. I'm out. I get it. Like, I understand he's looking at his timeline. He's 31 years old. He wants to win a ring, all of this but it's just a rough place to leave the organization that you called home for so many years. So what about Tillman for Tita? Um, I know a lot of fans give him a hard time and, you know, uh, maybe some fans even blame him for all the, the chaos that happened behind the scenes and all that. I don't know. I, maybe I'm in the camp that I, I'm, I'm willing to give him a little bit more time given all the stuff that he's had to deal with away from basketball. Look, I know as a fan, you look at just your team and you look at, the priorities of the team that has to come first and all that. But man, there was a lot going on last year for him. Um, and I know he wants to win. He, he said that before publicly many, many times. I know his sons want to win. The whole family does. But what is your take on this point moving forward with him? Has he, are you okay with what he's done so far? Are you, are you encouraged by what you can see from him this point forward? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say encouraged, um, but I also wouldn't go to the extremes that many other you know fans and individuals do uh, as far as criticizing what he's done to this point. I do agree with you. There's a lot that's going on, you know, off the court, you know, with with, with Tillman Fertitta and just how this pandemic has impacted, you know, his his empire, his industry specifically was hit very very hard. Hotel and hospitality, you know, restaurants, all of that. Um, you know, he was in a position though when he first bought the team that he, you know was was leveraged to hell when he first purchased the team so you know then to to then be thrown into a pandemic a couple years later where you know his his entire empire is taking a gigantic hit you know financially it's tough um 
I think where a lot of my issues come from are, you know, it's not often that you have a team that, you know, reels off 65 wins, right? And the team actively chose to cut corners after that historic franchise season. And they didn't bring back Trevor Ariza. They didn't throw money at Luke and Bamute. Uh, you know, and you can argue that those guys wouldn't have been difference makers that, you know, maybe Ariza was declining and Bahamute wound up being injured the next season for the Clippers. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, hindsight's 2020, but in that moment, you know, you have a 65 win team, a team that was a hamstring away from a finals appearance, knocking out one of the greatest teams ever assembled. And it was apparent that they weren't willing to spend to to maintain that core. Um, they tried to offer cheap replacements like James Ennis, Carmelo Anthony on a veteran deal, which, you know, we know how that played, played out. He lasted 10 games and right. was kind of the scapegoat for the troubles that early part of that 2018, 2019 season, Michael Carter Williams of all guys, um, really these fringe guys that they were trying to, you know, trying to fill the crevices with and hoping that they could kind of skate by with that. Um, utilizing, you know, draft capital and assets to offload contracts like Ryan Anderson um, so that they could, you know, duck the luxury tax. And, you know, time and time again, we would hear from Daryl Morey, you know, I'm not under any, you know, specific uh, instructions to not to dodge the luxury tax. If we have a team that we think is worth it, we'll spend the money on it. And yet they never did. And they haven't yet. And now there's no expectation for them to do so right now. They're bottom, you know, bottom of the standings, they're full blown rebuild. Now they're in free fall. It's okay that they're not spending, you know, uh, into the, into the luxury tax. That's totally fine. Yeah. But when you had a playoff caliber team, when you had an MVP smack in the middle of his prime and James Harden, an all time great player, the inability or the unwilling, the unwillingness to spend, to put the proper supporting cast around him, to then really be able to compete for a title goes against its counter to everything that we would hear from the Fertitta family about wanting to win, wanting to do whatever it takes, all of that. And maybe this was a lesson that they needed. Maybe this was a lesson where, look, we tried to cut some corners. We thought we could still be a, you know, an elite team without paying the tax. But like, I mean, I forget, I remember there was a study or something, right? Like the last, like, however many uh, championship teams or finals teams, like all of them have been like in the luxury tax or something like that, or a, gra a grand so. majority yeah. of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So to win, you got to be willing to spend. And maybe this is that learning opportunity where they realize, Hey, the next time we have an all time great, you know, cross your fingers. If Cade Cunningham becomes a Houston rocket, right. Uh, you know, that maybe they won't cut the corners the next time they're in a position to really be an elite team in the NBA. Okay, so you mentioned it. They're in a free fall. They, yeah. uh, it's been tough to watch. First of all, how do you do it day in and day out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I admire your dedication, man. Look, I got a lot going on here at the house. You can see some boxes up and move some stuff. So I haven't been able to focus in on every game, but you do. And God bless you for it. How do you, how do you sit there and watch this team? And what list your initial impressions? I know you're excited about the talent that's promising into the future, but... I mean, it's, it's been a tough, tough season. It, no, 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 no lies detected, Daniel. Um, so I think one thing that changed is, so this is my second year doing locked on rockets full-time hosting, you know, going through the season and, you know, previously when the team was a playoff team, right. You know, and they had championship aspirations, you know, I'm, I'm picking apart these games and trying to analyze these little like weaknesses and like, Oh, they need to clean this up. Right. That, you know, that this is going to be an issue moving forward because of these opponents that they're going to play in the playoffs. Right now it's much more uh, set, like 
self-contained on a game-by-game basis where I'm trying to pick apart and figure out the things that these young players can work on, right? Trying to analyze their development and really focus in on, okay, this game, Jay Sean Tate had to play, you know, essentially point forward because they had no guards available. And he did a great job doing that, right? He was facilitating really well. He looked good on this side, Uh, you know, breaking down what happens first half, second half, where does the, you know, where, where does the uh, breakdown happen when the team disappears for a quarter at a time, you know, things like that. So instead of it being this, you know, big, picture kind of thing it's trying to analyze the game within the game essentially and that at least as far as the feedback that i've received from the diehard you know loyal listeners of locked on rockets that has been a nice change of pace for them and kind of keeps them coming back you know surprisingly you know i thought when the rockets started going into free fall and they were losing you know at an exponential clip you know a franchise worst 20 straight losses i was expecting you know to tune in and see that we're getting like you know half or a third the number of listeners that we normally do on the show never happened right people were still invested and still coming back to listen because you know this is a young exciting group of guys and even though they haven't been able to string together the the wins this season i think there's a lot of promise there and this this team is not a reflection of, of their of the record like the the talent level on this team is so much more than what the record truly reflects they've dealt with injuries they've dealt with you know guys in and out of the lineup they've dealt with trades you know they didn't get a formal training camp all of these different factors and not only that by an extension daniel i kind of feel what the players are going through obviously in a much lesser sense but you know, some of these weeks with five games and seven nights, I'm like getting home and I'm like, oh, there's another game tonight. What am I going to do? <laughs> oh, like, no. I can only imagine how those players are yeah. feeling, right? It, especially you know, when you're it. not winning. Especially when yeah. you're not winning. It's tough. That too. You know, I try to remind people all the time that there is a, there's a mental and emotional and like spiritual aspect to sports that I think fans sometimes either reject knowingly or they just don't fully acknowledge. And it's like, no, these are living, breathing human beings like yourself and myself. And, you know, they experience thoughts, feelings, emotions, and, you know, nobody wants to go on a 20 game losing streak. And that takes its toll on a group of guys, but to see them still have the faith and the camaraderie and the belief in their, in their coach and Steven Silas and their belief in each other. And, you know, that we haven't had any crazy, you know, locker room incidents with guys, you know, starting fights or freaking out about anything that I think is a testament to what they are trying to build here in Houston. Steven Silas, we talked about uh, before. I, I just want to give him a hug. I mean, I just <laughs> give you a big hug. Steven, just go on a really nice vacation, go somewhere and play golf. Uh, I don't, I don't care what you do. Just get away from basketball for a couple of months. He just needs to go to his happy place. Just know, his happy place. Just go, go somewhere. I know he can't do that because he's been around basketball his whole life. I get that. But, um, from what you see, and I agree with you, I think he, he he's a good coach. He's got a good basketball mind. I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be great down the road, especially when these guys start developing. What have you seen from Coach Silas um, that you like so far? So a lot of his play calling is really interesting. He's got so many amazing different wrinkles. Um, one of the things that we recently started doing uh, in early to mid March, um, I partnered with. Uh, Ali Kambijani of The Athletic, and he is now on Locked on Rockets on a weekly basis. We host the show live through Locker Room, uh, and we do what's great called guy. Locked on Rockets. He's ama- amazing. Yeah. Ali Khan's one of the best. Yeah. Um, and we host Locked on Rockets live, and we do essentially what we call Locked on Rockets Film Room. 
um, because that's where his expertise is as a, you know, as a film analysis guy, breaking plays down the X's and O's of basketball. And we've really gotten into some of the nitty gritty about what Steven Silas is you know, able to do when he has the right pieces at his disposal. He's amazing when it comes to out of timeout executions, um, that some of the plays that he draws up are so fluid, so amazing, so many different branches and actions on them. Uh, and some of the plays that he calls even live during the game, right? Uh, there's just a lot that he does. And you can tell he's a really intelligent basketball mind from talking to him, from hearing him in the, in the post-game pressers. Um, when he gets asked a really good basketball question, he is not shy about answering it. And he'll go into great detail about why XYZ happened or why, you know, why this read was wrong, why they broke down on defense, why the offense started to stagnate, different things like that. And I think it's really a blessing that the Rockets go from Mike D'Antoni, who was a phenomenal press conference coach, to... Yes. Uh, to Steven Silas, who is another phenomenal press conference coach. He doesn't hold anything back. And, you know, I think we're seeing just how badly he wants to be successful because some of those losses, right, you could tell. I mean, Steven Silas was down bad, and it's because he cares so much. And I, I find it so hard to believe that a guy that cares that much about succeeding at his role will not find some semblance of success down the line once, you know, we are, you know, looking towards, towards brighter days where things are a little bit better for this organization. Yeah, that one press conference, I think it was after loss 20, wasn't it? I mean, did it hit number 20 or was it 19 where he was just so dejected? I'd never seen a coach look like that before. I've been through a lot of press conferences, but man, he just, that's when I decided I needed to give him a hug for sure. Okay, look, looking at the roster, right? Um, you got Jay Sean Tate. Let's start hit with him because it seems like he can bring it and he's got a lot of upside. That kid's got a lot of talent. What do you see out of him? So I think the comp that we've been seeing a lot, you know, as part as, you know, as the season has progressed, um, and I think it's pretty accurate is, is, you know, a kind of a, a young Draymond green. Um, although I would argue a Draymond green with a much higher ceiling offensively. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've explained this before, but for those that don't know, uh, you know, anybody who's watched Jay Sean Tate play, you know, you see he's got this array of post moves. He is so fluid in and around the basket. And apparently that's because his dad played college basketball. And his dad's about six, six foot nine. So they thought that Jay Sean was going to be a bit bigger than, than he wound up being. Yeah. And so he learned how to play in the post growing up. So he learned all the post moves, all the spins, all the pivots, how to, you know, maintain your composure inside when you're in the land of the giants. And now we're seeing that actively work to his favor, you know, as, as he's a wing player, but when he gets down low, you know, and he comes to a jump stop or, you know, a, a quick, you know, hits the brakes really quickly. He knows to maintain his composure, to spin, to pivot, to get those easy looks right at the mm -hmm. rim. And that's just, I mean, that's just one element of his game. You know, he's a defensive force to be reckoned with. Um, I would be hard pressed to imagine him not winning a DPOY at some point in his career, at least at the very least being named to an all defensive team. Um, Cause you're seeing it already. He makes the right reads defensively. He's always active, always hustling. And you know, it's not just about, you know, his, his innate ability to, I guess he, he does have the ability to stop people dead in their tracks, but he also just, he works so tirelessly on defense. I remember highlighting a play the other night when they were playing against um, the Orlando magic. And he started from the start of the possession, he was guarding uh, out on the perimeter and he got switched onto Wendell Carter jr. And immediately throughout the entirety of the rest of the possession for about 18 seconds, 
he spends the entire possession battling for box out positioning against Wendell Carter Jr. Just constantly throwing his body into him, getting him off the low block, getting him out of the out of the paint. And he didn't have to do that, right? There's no like this team is is nowhere near the playoffs. They're not trying to win games. Like, you know, there's but that's just who he is. That's his mentality. That's his aggressiveness. That's his intensity. And you can't teach that. That's just something that, you know, you either have it or you don't. And to see him out there on a nightly basis, he's been one of the few bright spots this season. And so being able to watch him on a nightly basis and see how he progresses, he needs to work on his shooting. Um, that's the the biggest glaring hole in his game. But if he's able to get his, his three-point shot up to a, I would say, arguably like a 33 34% you know, uh, rate consistently, he is going to be a handful to deal with. And he's going to get a, a very fat payday at the end of this contract. So other guys too, we've got Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, who, uh, who flashes as well. And that's what basically this whole group is, right? They're, they have their moments. They have, they, have, they have flashes. So as you look down the roster, we've even seen Armani Brooks. You're a U of H guy. I'm glad yeah. to see Armani back in the NBA doing some good things. He could still shoot it. Did that in college. He could still shoot it here. Um, so how, how long do you think it's going to take for this progression? I mean, they're a rock bottom now. Let's, this, let's face it, they're a rock bottom. But for these guys to get better, what do you think their progression is over the next couple of years? So I hate, I hate it because this feels like a cop-out answer, but depending on what happens in the draft this, this offseason, that is kind of the first marker of what the true timeline is going to look like. If they luck out, fingers crossed, knock on wood – if they walk away with Cade Cunningham, that absolutely accelerates their rebuild by probably one to two years. You know, he is going to be a franchise altering talent. Um, he'll be the next guy. You know, there's, there's questions about, Oh, is, you know, is Christian Wood really capable of being a, you know, a franchise caliber, you know, guy does Kevin Porter jr. Have it in him. Is that really where his ceiling will fall eventually? Um, Cade Cunningham is absolutely that guy. So then if you slot in Cade alongside KPJ, Christian Wood, Jay Shantae, KJ Martin, Armani Brooks, that is a really exciting young core. And then suddenly you're talking about potentially being back in the playoff hunt, you know, as early as two years from now, maybe not quite next season in his rookie campaign. Cause let's face it. Most rookies do hit what we call, you know, the rookie wall, you know, they'll kind of get to a point and you see like a, a distinct drop off, or there's one glaring element of their game that they really need to work on. Uh, and then they come back that sophomore season and they really, you know, most of them, the, the elite ones take that next step that second year. So, but moving past that kind of that, that cop-out answer, um, well, I don't think I, it's a cop. I don't think it's a cop out. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I mean, they have to land a top three pick, but they have to do it. I mean, if you're going to be this bad for a whole season, you have to be in the top three of the draft. There's no doubt. So I, I I'll give you credit. I don't think it's that, a cop out. And I, and I appreciate that Daniel, because, but let me, I'll tell you what, let me spin it to you this way, because this was something that I've grappled with and, and Rockets fans are currently grappling with it is, is dealing with, okay, well, what happens if they do lose out on the top four pick? you know, there's a lot has been made about this pick swap with the Oklahoma city thunder, but unfortunately the pick swap doesn't make you lose out on the top four pick. That's just percentage chance, right? Ignoring the pick swap, you could still very easily fall out of the top four. Now, unfortunately, because of the pick swap, if you do fall to number five, it's gone. It goes to OKC. So it really hurts to you know fall from, from what would be the number five overall pick. If you're the worst team in the NBA, that's the worst pick that you can absolutely receive is number five overall it would suck to fall from five all the way down to the 16, 17 range, wherever the Miami heat pick is ultimately mm -hmm. um, as, as part of that, you know, ridiculous pick swap with the Oklahoma city thunder. But 
I will say that if you were to rewind, right, go back to beginning of the season and you sit down with, you know, a Rockets fan at the start of the season, you say, look, you know that James Harden's trying to force his way out. You know everything's going on. It, like, it, it sucks. It is what it is. But at the end of the season, you will have a 52% chance at walking away with a, with a you know, top four pick in this NBA draft, even after dealing with your franchise guy, you know, bouncing on you, you know, un, not, I can't say unexpectedly, but, um, you know, you'll, you'll walk away with a plethora of draft picks from that trade and you'll walk away with a coin flip chance of getting a top four prospect from this year's NBA draft. Would you accept those odds given everything like you, like James Harden's gone. It's a foregone conclusion. He's out the window. Would you say, no, I don't want those chances. I don't want a chance at a, at a coin flip of a top prospect or that sounds good to me. Let's do it. Well, Hey, look, I'm, I'm always in the camp of, if you're going to be bad, then be bad with style. Like be <laughs> real bad. Like it, if you're not going to win, you might as well just tank and just get the best possible pick. I'm not saying that the Rockets are tanking, obviously, with the effort that you see on the floor, those guys are trying to win and Steven Silas wants to win. But if you're going to be bad, don't be like average. And like, don't go like competing for an eighth seed, especially in middle of mediocrity, basically. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you have to you have to go bad and see what you get. So obviously, Cade Cunningham is a big pick. Uh, is a big guy, a big name in this draft. But there's somebody else that, you know, I don't, I don't want Rockets fans to be disappointed if they don't get the number one pick with Cade. Um, is there somebody else that can really fit this group that you've seen uh, that's a prospect? So, I, you know, I've gotten – I've been on like a, like a, a seesaw between uh, Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley and who I would, you know, if the Rockets, say, fell to number two or, or three, you know, basically kind of trying to pin my hopes on one of those guys as well. We've done – breakdown episodes on Cade Cunningham and on Jalen Suggs uh, already over at Locked on Rockets. So if you want to check those out, you can. Uh, and we'll continue to break down the top prospects as well as prospects all throughout the first round because the Rockets will hopefully walk away with the Portland Trailblazers pick somewhere in the mid to late first round as well as the Milwaukee Bucks pick, which will be somewhere in the you know mid to early 20s, potentially, depending on how Milwaukee finishes out the remainder of the season. Um but, you know, Cade is, you know, he's the transformational talent. And I think you kind of have to tier this draft in, we'll say, there's kind of, we'll say three to four tiers. So Cade is his own tier. He's the consensus number one pick. He's going to go number one. If he doesn't go number one, it'll be a travesty, just like Marvin Bagley being picked over Luka Doncic. It'll be that bad. So Cade, number one. And then you've got Mobley and Suggs, two and three depending on on fit you've got some people who are saying Mobley over Suggs you've got some people saying Suggs over Mobley um I haven't quite figured out where I fall I kind of go back and forth on those two guys but they're both very exciting talents um Jalen Suggs you know 6'4 6'5 combo guard um would fit in you know really seamlessly in the backcourt alongside Kevin Porter Jr uh but then you have that gigantic question mark of what do you do with John Wall Right? Do you bring Kevin Porter Jr. off the bench? Do you bring Jalen Suggs off the bench? Do you start a three-guard lineup with Wall, Suggs, and Kevin Porter Jr. and just call it a day because you want to get them the accurate, you know, the the proper reps next season? That's something that's going to have to be addressed after the fact, you know, after the pick is made. And I think you just kind of you draft whatever the best, you know, the most talented player is that you view as the most talented player, which then brings us to Evan Mobley, who is absolutely a unicorn type player. Um, you know, he's a, a big, but he's got great playmaking skills, a great feel for the game, um, kind of playing big by necessity in college um, because of his size, uh, playing the five spot in college. But he's he's more 
of a traditional like power forward esque role. Think like Anthony Davis type, who you know somebody who can play the five has the skill set to do it in a pinch, uh, but is better suited to play at the four with a more traditional big alongside him. So imagining a twin towers lineup of Evan Mobley and Christian Wood as the future front court for this Rockets team with Jay Sean Tate slotting a small forward spot. Yeah. That's equally exciting. Well, as I mentioned, um, it's it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting ride. See what the Rockets decide to do. Um, I, I want them to win again. It was it was a fun run. I mean, honestly, going to the playoffs every year, covering the team, you know, it was exciting. Toyota Center was uh, was was on fire. I just I lost I lost that passion for him when when Kevin Durant went down in that series. Uh, in Golden State, and the Rockets had an opportunity to take that series, bring it back here, and win it, and they didn't. T- and that's when I realized, like, you know what? I don't, I don't think this group right here is ever going to get it done, especially with James Harden. But after talking to you, I feel like the the future is very bright. So thank you for uh, for lifting my spirits, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm happy to do it, Daniel. We've we've had some. Uh... We've had some Rockets, uh, we'll call them therapy sessions, group counseling sessions, if you will, over at Locked on Rockets after, you know, a really bad bit of, you know, breaking news or a really painful loss or, you know, and that's, that's like I said earlier, that's what makes this so unique is I'm on this journey with the fans as well because I am a fan, but I try to, you know, separate myself at times to provide that analysis to try and provide the breakdowns. And, you know, I know that I look at things through, you know, a pair of red tinted shades at time at times, but I, I try my best to take those off and to try to provide that level-headed analysis so that the fans of the team, the fans of the show, the listeners can walk away better, more educated basketball fans. And you hold your own against Warriors fans too. I, I saw that about a week and a half ago when you, <laughs> when they kind of descended upon you for uh, for your tweets. But uh, so good job for that. I woke up and I woke up and chose violence that, that day. Night, by the way, instead of just staying on there and tweeting, that was, that was smart. Yeah, I well, I I figured that last one would rile them up a bit too, and it totally did. You know, they 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 ran with that. I woke up in the morning and I was like, "This is a million notifications that I'm not even going to read." But uh, you know, messing with Warriors fans, messing with Jazz fans, Mavericks fans. You know, it's 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 part of the job. It comes with the title of being the host of Locked On Rockets. So that, I embrace you know it. You've arrived. So congratulations, Jackson. By the way, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Daniel. I appreciate um, it. So hey, so one quick uh, note about your podcast. Once again, where can they find it? Just search Locked On Rockets on any. Anywhere the podcasts are available? Absolutely. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, so Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, uh, you can check them out on the the Odyssey app as well. Uh, Anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, just search Locked on Rockets. You can find it there. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin and also the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets as well. Jackson, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see what happens in the draft. We, we will see what happens. Uh, knock on wood again. Hopefully something great happens. But Daniel, always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate Jackson coming on. Go check out his work. Uh, he's got a bunch of episodes up, breaking down all the nuances, right, of some of these young, talented players. And he's right. You know, in the national media, they're not going to be talking about the Rockets anymore frankly. And when they talked about the Rockets before, they were basically making fun of James Harden and the way he played. They weren't buying into the way he played. And now with he's, that he's with Brooklyn, they love him, right? That's the way things go for Houston sports and the national media. Nobody really pays attention to him unless they're going to rip him. And then when they go other places, these star players are like, oh my God, these guys are really good. Yeah, they were really good here for a long time. You just didn't pay attention to them. But thus is life in Houston sports. Thanks to Jackson for joining me on this episode 52. This one's a little long, but 
I thought it was some really good stuff there between Jackson and I, and he has a lot of good insight. Hopefully we can have him back on Sports Extra. And then when the draft comes along, I'll invite him back to break down some of the selections the Rockets have made. They have a lot of picks, which is good. And as I said in our conversation, if you're going to be bad, then be really bad. Uh, this week also coming up, I have a conversation with Chinadu. Uh, our uh, resident comedian, he's a great Houstonian. Chinadu is going to be joining me for a podcast episode this week. He had a lot of funny things to say. But I also wanted to talk about his start in comedy because I, I love backstories. I love how people uh, get to where they currently are. And Chinadu's got a great backstory on how I got into comedy. So that's going to be a fun conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy that. But for now, episode 52 is in the books. We'll talk to you next time. See you later.